This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of May 24th, bringing you nonprofitnewsfeed.com's weekly summary, which by the way, you can sign up for free for those emails in your inbox. And I have Nick and Karisha here to bring us the summaries of this week. How's it going, folks? Doing good. How are you doing, George? I'm so prepared for the nonprofit news. Uh, why don't we jump into the the at-a-glance, the summary pieces, Nick? Sure, I can kick this off. This first one is about a nonprofit that is seeking to fight carbon emissions through the financial marketplace. Now, a University of Chicago professor has teamed up with some other financial experts, and they've created a nonprofit called Climate Vault, which, in theory, could revolutionize how we offset carbon emissions in the financial marketplace. Now, the idea is using the current infrastructure of cap and trade, which is how we kind of regulate carbon emissions, um, using that infrastructure to its advantage, the organization is seeking to redirect capital to environmentally conscious startups in exchange for pollution permits. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I fully understand the intricacies of pollution and the financial markets and, and cap and trade and all of that. But the idea is that the companies, um, in exchange for basically licenses to pollute, they offset that by using that money or this nonprofit will now direct that money into startups or organizations or capital investment that the return on investment is environmental sustainability, hoping to um, kind of, you know, solve a problem in the long run here by incentivizing markets um, to be environmentally sustainable. And the idea is that if you can incentivize profit and tie that profit to environmental sustainability, this might just be the long term that works. Yeah, I like seeing nonprofits at the tri-sector intersection of nonprofits, corporations, and government. Oftentimes you need that uh, sort of player there to, to map these types of pieces out. And the, the demand is real uh, and markets are absolutely going that way. And the only way we get forward is by realizing the economic impact of carbon, frankly. Absolutely. Definitely something to keep an eye on, especially as the markets are, are moving towards um, environmentally um, kind of conscious investments. And you're even getting now investment portfolios that, you know, emphasize things like diversity, equity, inclusion in companies. So like sustainability and in investments is sustainability in, in a very broad sense is increasingly important and a trend to keep an eye on. Our next story I can jump to is about nonprofit advocacy groups and Native American tribes teaming up to combat voter suppression. Um, so in the wake of the 2020 election, there have been a large number of new pieces of legislation being passed through state legislatures um, that critics say um, are threatening the right to vote um, for certain groups of communities, in particular uh, marginalized communities. In this instance, out of Montana, um, four tribes are alleging that new legislation in the state effectively is an attempt to disenfranchise 
indigenous voters. And the reason I wanted to highlight this story is because um, the organizations representing the tribes in the suit against the state are in fact nonprofits. You have the Native American Rights Fund, which is an advocacy organization um, in conjunction with the ACLU that is filing the suit. And I think this is an interesting trend uh, to keep an eye on. One, because voting and voting access and civic engagement has huge ramifications for all facets of the social impact sector, but also because at the forefront of ensuring that people have access to these rights are nonprofit organizations or voter mobilization organizations that are really at the cutting edge of making government responsible. And, you know, in the U.S., we have a pretty robust history of these civil society groups kind of keeping government accountable, but you're seeing similar organizations modeling themselves after tactics tried in the U.S. all around the world in a, in a civil society um, infrastructure that's that's only growing. Um, so I think a really something, something really interesting to keep an eye on and, uh, you know, recognize that these nonprofits and advocacy groups are are on the front lines of um, protecting rights, even even rights um, that are, are granted by government institutions. Yeah, you need a lot of eyes looking out for the the different ways voter suppression can work to, to silence voices of different communities. And it's much more powerful when you hear the narrative and understanding of, for example, a group of Native Americans on, frankly, land that was stolen and then like given back to them, then being having their votes taken away from them and their voice, uh, because frankly, you need certain things like registration and mail-in access because guess what? They're not regular services there, um, yet uh, their voice absolutely matters in, in the democracy. And it's uh, great to see nonprofit uh, organizations picking up that um, those narratives and making sure it's clear. This is what this looks like on the ground. It's easy to stroke your pen in a giant building and say, yeah, we're making things safer. Like, hmm, let's see what that looks like on the ground. So uh, I'm really glad, Nick, you actually found this one uh, and help us put it out there. Thanks. Arisha, you want to talk through some of the summary pieces for us? Yeah. As always, you can go through our headlines. Our first one reads, YMCA brings in new CEO to revamp struggling nonprofit. To be clear, this is the YMCA of Metro Chicago, not the National YMCA organization, but really they're bringing in Dory McWhorter, hopefully I'm saying their name correctly, to take over, especially as this YMCA in particular is going through some financial uh, hardships due to the pandemic. Um, and that makes sense. If you I've gone to my local YMCA and it really relies a lot on membership and being able to go um, in and, you know, really use their resources. Um, but as COVID came along, I imagine that there might have been some issues with people going in or even having access to perhaps virtual classes um, from there. So hopefully Dory McWhorter can come in and do some really great work um, and bring the YMCA of the metro Chicago area back afloat. What I liked about the story, too, is it looks like she really crushed it at the YWCA, um, where they actually saw revenue climb uh, in the fiscal year ending in June 2020. And, you know, and then you, you see the YMCA being like, well, if it worked there, come on over. Let's uh, let's have you lead it. So um, great to see uh, that type of leadership making that. Yeah, um, that move. Keep doing what works <laughs> is our motto here at Whole Whale. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick 
add about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO content marketing, Google ad grant, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Our next headline reads, Greenpeace stops accepting Bitcoin donations, um, cites high energy use. And I know we've talked quite a bit about cryptocurrency, NFTs for sure, and kind of this new wave of uh, what this means for nonprofits in particular. Um, and what this article does is kind of shine a little bit of light on um, the other side of cryptocurrency that we might not always talk about, which is kind of the carbon footprint that it leaves um, when mining for these coins. According to a report from the Financial Times on Thursday, Greenpeace, the organization said, as the amount of energy needed to run Bitcoin became clearer, this policy became no longer tenable. Um, and I think this is also a really shout out to Greenpeace for kind of putting their money where their mouth is and really um, being able to look at both sides of the issue and make a definitive stance. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I am un- unapologetically very pro crypto. And I-, I try to keep that world like in balance with also, you know, the the work we do at Whole Whale, the work you know we do in collecting some of the news here, and I tend to paint things in a rosier view. So I like want to disclose that I do think for you know my overall statements saying like, hey, uh, I, I believe that accepting crypto donations right now is akin to the early days of accepting mobile mobile donations and making sure that you could accept on mobile. And everyone at the time, if you remember, being like, oh, no one's going to be comfortable putting their credit card on the phone. Um, this is coming. I, I believe it like gravity um, is coming. It's just a question, uh, not if, but when. I do really like some of the social pressure being placed on the technology underpinning uh, these technologies, but it's not to say all crypto. It's noting that they called out Bitcoin, but they are still accepting many, many, many other coins, which are uh, very environmentally sourced. And if I were to play this out a little bit more, I have to note that about 100 terawatts of energy go into fiat currency. Banking, printing, minting, finding metal. Should you also stop accepting the US dollar? You have to draw a line somewhere. And I think they have chosen a place that right now is in the is is gaining traction, I'd say, in certain narratives. But you have to be very careful when you begin drawing lines and saying that amount of terawatts is different than that amount. Um, also acknowledging that. 65 to 75% of mining for Bitcoin is done with alternative energy and may actually be promoting the creation of more alternative energy sources because it is energy intensive and it's a way of turning energy into money. This is all to say these are complicated issues. They are far more dynamic and interwoven if we talk about technology, economic transition, and energy consumption and usage. There's so many narratives, but I think Coming back to this Greenpeace decision, it's in line with their ethos and at a high level, especially the optics of it, probably the right move. And something that if you are an environmental organization, you should be very careful about. However, I better not see one piece of mailed whatever in my freaking mailbox from an environmental organization if you're not accepting Bitcoin. That's what I'd also say on that front. (laughs) Greenpeace or whomever is sending direct mail that basically has got a less than 10% ROI on it. So draw the lines, be clear, but make sure 
you're not being disingenuous with it. End, end rant, end rant, George. <laughs> it's so funny too, that we just had a conversation about this, what, maybe like a week ago, talking about like the, the kind of carbon footprint that cryptocurrency and I guess Bitcoin in particular in this situation kind of has and kind of the pros and cons of it. Um, but totally agree, especially for an organization like Greenpeace. Um, taking a stance in the optics of it is definitely important to keep in mind. Our next headline, Steve Bannon's nonprofit sued for destroying wild butterflies habitat with Donald Trump's border. <laughs> I was going to try not to laugh. Here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this one is funny because one of the first lines is that he was arrested on his yacht. And <laughs> I don't know, that really just took me out for whatever reason. <laughs> But Steve Bannon um, was already in trouble for uh, kind of getting donations and funding for uh, his own nonprofit and funneling that into the privately uh, owned funding of a portion of the wall that Trump um, was trying to build. That is kind of an ongoing investigation and not what the story is about. But in addition to kind of doing that, he also, as a part of this wall, also started to destroy a lot of butterfly habitats along the Rio Grande. Um, so not only kind of a moral act, but also an environmental one um, that's having a lot of issues there. So first couple lines are kind of funny, but again, bad decisions usually lead to more bad effects. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the on the list of things that Steve Bannon woke up that morning thinking he was going to be sued for destroying butterfly habitats was probably not in the top 10. <laughs> not even top 50. <laughs> you don't think? No. I'm sure it made it in the teens. He's like, oh, I've had it in for those butterflies. The butterflies, I guess. Maybe the butterflies were on his hit list. <laughs> Um, and our final head headline, um, a San Francisco nonprofit lost 650000 to hackers and a quote-unquote money mule, and the boss had to in investigate it herself. Um, this comes from, again, a San Francisco nonprofit that helps poor people. Um, basically, someone on their team stole quite a large amount of money that people didn't know about for weeks, it looks like. Um, it looks like the executive director, Sherry Williams, um, tried to talk to the police, um, but there's very little being done about this. So California senators are now trying to step in to hopefully find where this money is and get it back to uh, this nonprofit that can use the money to help people. Um, but quite a daunting thing indeed. Yeah, I mean, was this tied, it looked like to cybercrime itself where this was, uh, in fact, you know, a, a good reminder to like, make sure that um, your own sort of, frankly, financials are locked up and security wise, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That two factor authentication. <laughs> I'm sure that wouldn't have helped in this case. But if you don't have it, at least take those first steps. Um, because these things are important. And you don't think it'll happen to you until it does. All right, Nick. Should we move into feel-good stories from the sector? Sure. Yeah, I have another one. This is a quick one, but this comes from Wisconsin, where a nonprofit is offering to take World War II veterans up in a World War II era plane. Um, I'm not a plane expert, so I'm not going to try to describe the, the type of plane, but um, <laughs> this is just a great cause that will... Um, you know, give something back to to those um, still with us who fought in World War II and and show appreciation um, for veterans. And I think it's just a really cool cause. And, um, you know, thinking about 
these folks who fought in World War II, they've seen the world change so much. And um, I'm sure for older folks, especially the pandemic has been um, especially challenging with with isolation and, you know, of course, hitting um, people of a certain age much, much harder than the rest of us. So uh, really heartwarming story, um, bringing some some light into those who gave. So yeah, much. it's a, a biplane, a single prop biplane, like imagine in your mind the like, you know, the Red Baron type pieces zooming around up there. I don't know how many of these veterans are like real itching to go up in a, in a biplane, but it's cool. The nonprofit is called Dream Flights. So good on them. What a unique experience and a, and a way to thank veterans. There you go. All right. That is what we have for you for the week of May 24th. Nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can find the sign up to get these links and stories to you in your inbox every week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Carisha. Absolutely. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 